Okay, welcome to the Sharks MTG podcast. Yes, you haven't heard me in a while. It is Bob Perfect. Of course, I am joined today by Karan Chetty and Savesh Balkaran. How are you doing, Karan? Fantastic. Uh, Bob, great to have you back. Uh, I guess this is like a crossover episode, uh, almost perfect <laughs> and uh, Sharks. So, yeah, wonderful to have you back, Bob. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure, man. Like, I've definitely missed this. I've definitely missed playing Magic this weekend. It was such a wild time. It was such a great time. And we'll be getting into that in just a little bit. But how are you doing, Savesh? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Bob. Good to have you back on the podcast again. Thanks, thanks for having me, you know. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, great, great weekend up in Joburg recently, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But uh, yeah, all good down in PE. Ready to, ready to chat about some Magic. Yeah, so we've actually all spent this weekend together, uh, much to like my sleep patterns, like absolute fuckery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. I apologize. Right. I don't think we need to get into the details of exactly why your sleep was disrupted to such an extent. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just say my results are between Savesh and Richard. Uh, I'm going to just say you guys are like half of my losses each. <laughs> that seems that seems reasonable. I think that's a reasonable take. Look, yeah, yeah, so, look I'm going to go see an ENT. I'm going to go see an ENT soon. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> It'll be sorted out. Yeah. He said this. Like, he said this. He said this two years ago when he was in Thailand at my place, or, or it might have been four <laughs> years ago in Cape Town. So who knows? Yeah, uh, I can't yeah. remember. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's been a pandemic. You know, I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. But yeah, so Quran opened his uh, doors this weekend to a bunch of us to sleep over and play test and. He borrowed me decks the whole weekend for the uh, EGG, the Egg, Easy Gaming Group, Paper Nationals, whatever, big-ass tournament. Like, basically, the biggest paper tournament over three days here in South Africa in quite a while. And with some of the biggest prize money ever, basically. So, Karan was kind enough to open his doors and welcome everyone in. And I'm sure he's not regretting it due to his results, but I'm also sure that he is quite happy to be able to sleep in his own bed without uh, much disturbance. Say, Karan. Uh, no, to be honest, it was a blast having you guys around, you know. I mean, uh, yes, living alone is great, and I love the peace and quiet. But, uh, you know, the nostalgia this weekend brought, you know, it took me back years when you know, nationals and PDQs and all these kind of things were a thing and we'd get together in whatever city and, you know, see friends and familiar faces. And so, yeah, it was a blast having the boys around and, um, yeah, I loved it. And Sebesh, well, what made you come all the way from PE for this tournament? Was, was it the prize money or I'm assuming it might have been getting to just see some old friends again? Uh, prize money was definitely a factor, but I think uh, the, the real truth is that I'm just completely addicted to magic. So any any opportunity <laughs> to play at a at a fairly high level, you know, fairly high stakes uh, competitive magic is is definitely a, a strong allure. Um, but yeah, no, it was a great opportunity. You know, it was a long weekend. Managed to take a couple of days off work as well, so you know, I had a had sort of an extended weekend um, just to hang out with the with the crew again. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, played a lot of magic, probably a lot more magic than we should have, and it's healthy for any human being. Uh, but yeah, no, just great times hanging out, you know, shooting the shit. It was it was great. Cool. And then what was some of the preparation that you did for the tournament, Savesh? 
because this was three formats. It was standard on Friday, it was Pioneer on Saturday, and then it was Modern on on Sunday. So that's like quite a lot of work to actually get done. And you did manage to top eight the Pioneer event. So yeah, what was your testing process like? Um, so standard was pretty much non-existent. I think the last time I played a standard, like FNM or whatever the case was, was probably close to a year ago. And the deck that I played was was Blue Black Rogues, Demir Rogues, um, which is a deck that I've had built since the, most of the Rogue cards were printed in like Throne of Eldrain and or more recently, um, I think Zendikar Rising. So I had the deck built since then, pretty much abandoned it after playing it a bunch on Arena at the beginning of the year just because work got quite busy and I wasn't able to play as much. Um, and to be honest, during the last few months when I have been playing Magic, I prefer to play Modern and Pioneer on Magic Online just because I prefer Magic Online as a program. And, you know, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, you know, we think there's probably a higher level of competition, although that's up for debate at the moment on Magic Online. So Stan was pretty much non-existent, just picked up a deck, you know, decided to play. I didn't actually win one of the qualifiers for Standard. I won a Pioneer and a Modern qualifier. So that was sort of free entry, at least. Standard was just sort of a bonus tournament. You know, if I, if I did well, I did well. Um, I didn't do well, spoiler alert. Uh, I, I, I was like, I think, two and two after four rounds. And then I actually won round five. But looking at the time, decided to concede uh, and concede the final round so I could go play Legacy. Uh, unfortunately... <laughs> Legacy started about an hour later than expected, so I could have just finished the standard tournament and might have actually top eight it. But you know, anyway, um, Legacy was a lot of fun. Been playing a bunch of that on Magic Online, so you know I did pretty well there on the Friday. And uh, I think Modern and Pioneer was where the majority of my focus in testing has been over the last say month or two. Um, and look, I haven't been testing quite extensively. Kiran and I, uh, you know, we spoke about Modern quite a lot on the podcast a few months ago. Um, you know, just after MH2 came out, it was very exciting to play with all the new cards and tested all the various new strategies. Uh, definitely, you know, fluctuated in terms of my ability to commit time to testing modern. You know, I think over the last two months, I've probably only been able to get one or two leagues in every other week. So not the hugest amount, well, not the greatest amount of testing, not ideal, you know, for this kind of competition. But I think I was pretty satisfied um, leading into the tournament. Yeah, and I think we decided on decks. Well, I decided on decks. Um, Fairly recently, I think Blue Red Merktide was probably my go-to deck for Modern, um, which I probably decided a few weeks ago. Pioneer was a bit of a toss-up. I think I only really decided a few days prior, um, mostly because I didn't have all the cards for all the decks, so that was a, a limiting factor. But I think ultimately went with the right choice. I ended up top eighting the Pioneer event and the Modern event, so but unfortunately just couldn't convert into a semifinals or a finals appearance. You know, unlike our friend Kiran over here, who just managed to smash everything the whole weekend. Yeah, I was about to get into it. I forgot that you actually did the two, you did the double, not quite the triple like Quran, who made top eight for all three formats. Although you played very little magic this weekend in comparison to a lot of people and still walked away quite, uh, quite happy. So tell me about your experiences leading up to the event and then we'll touch a little bit more on how it went. Yeah, so mine was, uh, I mean, like similar to Sav in that. A lot more of my magic playing was done sort of when MH2 came out. So I'd say the first two months, um, probably uh, July and um, August. And it was almost exclusively modern. So standard I had pretty much no experience with. Uh, I played a three, a four-round, little four-round casual tournament um, uh, heading into it. And um, I, I had like a half-built Sultel to make uh, two decks because I didn't have all the cards for it. 
um, and I had a buy anyway, so it was like three <laughs> rounds of the half full deck, and that was my, the extent of my standard experience. Um, but I knew I wanted to play Siltai because I'm, you know, Magic Online, a renowned um, Magic Online grinder, Andy Andy Awkward, one of the end bosses there, was just killing the challenges. Uh, sorry, the, the, the leagues, um, the weekly leagues with Sultan. He just kept on top eighting and winning. And it's something ridiculous, like 10 weeks in a row. I, I could, I'm not quite sure exactly, but it was preposterous. Week after week, he'd pick up the same deck, tune one or two cards, and he just won. So I decided to, you know, I just did the sensible thing. Uh, one uh, MTGO grinded to another. I reached out and I was like, hey, Andy. What's the list you recommend? Um, I've got no time to play this deck. Um, he gave me he gave me a bunch of notes and like how I should play it. I read the notes and you know that was it. I mean, this I, um, this sounds it. a little bit like a rich get richer kind of situation. You know, it's like you you've got that inside lane into the 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 inside of trading almost. Like you don't even have to put <laughs> in the work. You you're just like, hey man, you got any hot stock tips there? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's something like that. I mean, to, to be fair, like the Sultai deck was like playing a mid-range, any mid-range deck that you've played millions of times over the years, you know, um, with the ex notable exception being there was this one card, oops, I win endgame, you know, so it was uh, was pretty good. Um, it was pretty good, um, you know, getting the inside, I guess the inside info I was pretty grateful. So shout out to Andy. Um, check out his content on Twitter if anyone's interested. I think it's at Andy Awkward, a great bloke. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get him on the pod sometime to tell us about his adventures. So that was standard um, for me. Um, and, and then Pioneer was pretty much non-existent as well. I did a lot of theory crafting, and I think I played one Pioneer League with um, Red Black, uh, the Red Black Sack deck, because I thought, well, it's kind of my speed. I kind of enjoy the style of deck, you know, grinding, grinding opponents. I went yeah, you like thought, you thought, like thought seizing people. Yeah, I, I love thought seizing people, and I, I feel like it's you know it really rewards you for knowing what to do with that information. Um, so I went for one with it. The deck felt really powerful, and I was going to play it. And then a few days before the event, I, I was just struck by this uh, deck by Trias. Trias, I think is um, I think it's Yuchi Ichikawa. I could be wrong, but I think it's Yuchi Ichikawa. Um, and and he he won a league. He won a, a, a uh, a league pioneer league and he you know did well in a few of them and i looked at the list and i just couldn't understand why it was doing well it didn't make sense to me um so i just put it together in paper i played a couple of games in paper against you know richard and john were here the one day and I, it was preposterous i just couldn't lose with the deck uh, and like i felt like i didn't know how to play the deck on the one hand and at the same time i felt like i couldn't lose and so it was ridiculous so i was like okay there and then i was like okay good enough I'm going to play this deck and figure it, try and figure it out on the day. Um, again, really out of my, this is really out of my comfort zone. So going from the Sultai experience, where very much my wheelhouse, to this combo-centric, lots of actions nonsense that I guess Saul would normally like. <laughs> that's really not my speed, but picked it up. And so that was that, um, very much for those two formats. And then lastly, Modern was the one that I actually cared about because I... You know, I was crushing it on MTGO and with Modern when I did play. Um, you know, and I was top. I was five owning leagues with all kinds of different weird decks. And at the end of it, I came to the conclusion that the three best decks, and I think I don't think this is rocket science here. I think this is known information, is uh, Rhinos, Blue Red, and um, Hammer. And yeah. I felt that 
just I just really enjoyed Rhinos. I didn't enjoy playing Hammer. I feel objectively that Hammer is the best deck, but I didn't put the time in to learn it. Um, That's a bit and tricky. I did really well with Rhinos whenever I did play it, so I went with Rhinos, and um, yeah, I was very happy to play it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know much about modern. Like, I listen and I hear things and stuff like that. But when we played a little bit and you played that Rhinos deck, I was like, oh, okay. So we're we're playing Legacy now. Like, basically, when it came to... It seems like modern is just this hyper-powered format, but it also seems like it's pretty well-balanced. Yeah, I, I think very, very much so. And, and you know, if you, if you look at... Um, I guess the only big tournaments around the world are... Uh, the MTGO um, leagues uh, is essentially the, so the, the challenges and showcase events and stuff. And it's really balanced and it's a, an evolving format that goes from week to week, you know, where one week, you know, Hammer's tough of the pile. The next week, Elementals comes in to dethrone Hammer. The next week, Tron makes a, a random appearance because of the prevalence of uh, these mid-rangey Elemental decks. So it's, it's really well balanced. Um, and I mean, we've said it here in the past, I really think they've done a great job, even though a lot of people complain, you know, that it's uh, MH, MH tribal, if you will, MH block that it's become. But, <laughs> you know, the gameplay is really good and it's really well balanced. So, you know, um, provided you play something sensible, not, you, know, uh, you know, one of the sensible decks, just make sure your deck has Modern Horizons 2 cards in it and you'll be okay, basically. I think that's the rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah, I guess... We can. I was gonna try and ask you like recaps on decks. I mean, I guess we can do that just now. But that does bring us to one of the topics that you wanted to discuss in particular. What goes into your mind when it comes to selecting a deck for a tournament, and how should how do you think other people should approach it? Or in them, they're gonna add an addendum to this. This is also kind of dependent on card availability and budget. So people don't necessarily have the resources that you have. What can you recommend for them to still select good decks and be able to do well in tournaments? Yeah, so so I mean, you know, it's you know, when I was younger, I, I couldn't just build whatever I wanted and I had to, you know, sort of make I mean do you were the mono red kid, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I play mono red and then eventually I think I started getting wild mongrels and you know, the red green thing and whatever, right? But like the point is that a big part of the magic experience is, is networking, right? And it's it's a building community and helping each other out. So you don't have to be on your own. You know, no man is an island or woman is an island or whatever, right? It's about building these networks and friendships. And it's even with, with this, you came up and we sourced you a bunch of decks. You know, same with John, same with Richard. We we managed to all get decks. And, you know, by thanks to largely thanks to people like Tians who couldn't play the event, but was uh, ever willing to, to help. And, and there are lots of people like that. So even myself, who has a you know, pretty large collection, I can't just build infinite amount of decks for people, you know, I need help. And so, you know, network, make friends, you know, um, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, so to speak, you know, uh, I mean, the morning of the tournament, I have people messaging me, you know, asking me for cards and, and uh, happily obliged, you know, most people will be more than happy to help out uh, someone I need. So I guess that's the first point. Um, regarding deck, deck selection, and, and I think it's a critical part to the magic experiences. Half your battle is won when you've chosen a good deck or a, a good deck or a well-positioned deck, you know, provided card availability is not an issue. Um, you know, provided you've got time to put in, it's really simple. Look at results. Results don't lie. And you need to keep track of winner's metagame. 
That's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. So not just, don't just look blindly at 5-0 deck lists because any idiot can 5-0 and a magic, uh, magic Online League. That's the truth of the matter. If you look at some of the I mean, rubbish, Salvo will tell you. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I, I, me too. But Salvo will tell you some of the rubbish decks that I was 5 0 with, like, you know, Raghavan <laughs> and Blood Moon and, like, just absolute yeah. nonsense decks. I mean, Primate Panzer, like, yeah. Yeah, Primate Panzer, yeah, <laughs> I guess. That sounds it's great. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> no, it was terrible. It was a terrible deck. But, you know, that's the point. Like, anyway, even I did I did well in, a, in one of the, the challenges with, um, like, a Grixis deck with like a Grixis, you know, blue red monkeys and all these things without Lurus. I just didn't play Lurus. I played instead. I was like, nah, I want to play Murktide. Everyone else is wrong. I want to play Murktide, you know, like stupid things like that. So, but then someone will pick up the deck and think, oh, this is good. The deck's done, this guy's done well with it. It must be a good deck. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, pay attention to winner's metagame. That's, I think, the most important piece of advice I can give anyone. Um, don't just pay attention to random 5-0 lists. Pay okay, well, what do you what do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah. So, so filing a league is not a winner's metagame. That's just some random person who's filed a league. For example, if we're looking at modern or pioneer in particular. Um, but in terms of winner's metagame, what are the consistent decks that are top eighting events? And in this case, relevant events in these formats would be uh, Magic Online leagues and showcases, and and PDQs when they do happen. That's what you need to pay attention to. What are the best performing decks? in that, those particular environments. Because in those environments that you've got the best players in the world picking up decks and trying to outdo each other. And when those players come, um, they all come to a conclusion. The smartest, the best players in the world come to this conclusion. They figure out what the best decks are in the world. And you'll see a pattern. You'll see a pattern shaping of, oh, wait a minute. If I look across these four um, top eights, there's eight blue-red decks. There's seven Rhino decks. There's five Mono White decks. There's one. There's Trun one deck. Vampire deck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. There's one for a reason. Because it's not very good. There's one Junt Asmo deck because you know some idiot put the cards together. So like, it's not. Yeah. It's not. You know, it's it doesn't mean that that deck's particularly good necessarily. So pay attention to what is good, and then. Within that, you know, if you've got the time, try them out like I did. You know, I tried Hammer for a couple of leagues. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was great, but I didn't enjoy it. I tried Blue Red. thought it was great, but, um, you know, I, I wanted, I tried, then I tried Rhinos and I was like, wow, Rhinos for me was just ridiculous, you know. Yeah, it seems like your speed. Yeah, and, and it was like free wins, you know, just like Force of Negation, Force of Vigor, Fury, you know, all these, and obviously the Rhinos themselves, all these essentially free spells, just preposterous, absolutely preposterous. So, you know, uh, I, I thought it was, was a great deck, you know, so after playing and experiencing, experimenting with a bunch of other winners metagame in this modern example, that's how I figured it out. So quite simple, you know, look at winners metagame. If you have the time, try one or two of the decks out and make a deck choice from there. And Saab, how do you go about selecting decks for tournaments? Well, I just usually play whatever Quran tells me to play. Uh, but uh, no, seriously. Um, so obviously, like I have a particular set of decks in whatever format. That I thought I'm you were going to say you have a particular set of skills. A set of skills, yeah. A particular <laughs> set of skills. Uh, I will find you and I will I will cut your deck. <laughs> yeah. No, like I have a... Not a pandemic, bro. Not a pandemic. <laughs> 
Not in a pandemic, yeah. I'll find you. I wonder what you look like because half your face is covered by a mask, but uh, I will find you. I'll track you down. Um, no, like I've got a particular comfort zone as well when it comes to playing certain formats. Um, you know, I typically like combo-y kind of decks, um, but I, I can play pretty much anything um, if I really put my mind to it. Although I do despise, you know, your typical mid-range deck, you know. Um, <laughs> That's no nothing. Unless, unless it's got like a combo win, you know, if I, if I could have sourced the cards in time, you know, if I could have put in the, put in the, the, the reps, if I had a, a hot contact. So like uh, the auto yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I had a if I had a, a you know auto win button to push in my deck, I'd happily play that kind of mid range deck. Um, so I would have liked to have played Sultai if I could have gotten the cards, but I didn't see much uh, reason to buy cards that are about to rotate or just have actually rotated out of standard. Um, you know, uh, and then to put in the the amount of time and experience to actually learn the deck properly didn't seem worth my time. So I just picked up a deck that I had lying around. Obviously, didn't do as well as I could have, but I didn't really focus on standard. Um, but yeah, uh, for Pioneer and Modern. You know, Pioneer Kuran is saying, you know, he uh, wanted to play Black Red. That actually wasn't ever a consideration for me. Um, uh, while I didn't find the deck's probably pretty, pretty good, you know, I like thought seizing um, as much as as much as the next guy. Um, it just seems like a very, uh, you know, very difficult deck to play, especially if you don't have a lot of experience, especially if you don't know exactly what is potentially going to be in the format, you know, Pioneer is such a wide open format at the moment. You can literally play anything. Um, I think we all played against a variety of decks. I don't think there was much consistency in terms of what people were bringing to the table, um, you know, in the majority of the field. Um, I think there was also uh, definitely some surprising matchups that we didn't expect to face. So preparing for that, you know, playing a, a Thoughtseize, you know, Young Pyromancer, Dreadlord Arcanist kind of a deck, you know, you're probably putting yourself on the back foot if you haven't actually tested enough with it. Um, so I didn't want to pick that up and you know, uh, probably just bomb out. So I just disregarded that completely. Um, the other consideration was John Citadel, which I thought was pretty well positioned. Um, and I had actually put in a few um, weeks worth of practice with leading up to the tournament. But in the last week, I actually got crushed pretty significantly by this um, four-color Jeskai Ascendancy combo deck online. You know, I was playing the John Citadel deck and I was winning. I played it. Hey, what? Sorry for interrupting there. I was saying you could have let me know that before I played it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we did play a couple of games and you saw the power of, of Omnath, you know? <laughs> um, look, to be oh, honest, I, I don't think you would have enjoyed it. Yeah, you won a couple of games. You won a couple of games. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I think I'm only against like three in those games, though. <laughs> I think it was just <laughs> something, <yeah. like> <laughs> something like that. Something like that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, found the Jeskai deck. You know, I was playing this this bonus Citadel deck, and I had five out a couple of leagues. And I was like, oh, this deck is pretty great. You know, it loses to a couple of things. You know, the matches are generally pretty close if you don't just steamroll your opponents. And then I played against this guy online. I don't know who it was. I think it was someone who picked up Ichikawa's list. And then you know, I saw a Sylvan carry it. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I can make him sacrifice it with my uh, Priest of Forgotten Guards. I played another one. I was like, okay, cool. Played it Ascendancy. I was like, okay, this is probably not great. And then he started doing things. I was like, okay, he's not really accumulating much value this you know, he's not really building up mana or doing anything you know, spectacular i'm probably he's probably gonna fizzle untap or i'm gonna untap and kill him no and then he plays a sylvan awakening i'm like oh cool so he lands are two twos that's fine they're all they're all taps you know what's he gonna do and he plays a spell then he untaps all his lands because they're not creatures and ascendancy triggers i was like oh cool all right so i'm dead i just died immediately so i immediately picked up that deck and started playing with it. I think I played a league, a 5 out of league, and I was like, okay, this is probably good enough and seems like it sidesteps most of what's going on in the format. So um, 
and it's similar enough to decks that I've played previously, you know, other combo decks. Um, so I, I figured I wouldn't need much experience with it. Um, well, yeah, in general, yeah. like, are combo decks kind of the same? Especially, like, you like these kind of combo decks where it's a lot of, like, mechanics and triggers. It's like tapping things, untapping things, adding mana, tap, 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 and then you're dead. Like, that's kind of how I imagine your style. Because just playing against you, that's, like, being the kind of magic you tend to play. Yeah, somehow, I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty good mechanically with, you know, just various interactions. And I tend not to miss triggers. I tend not to, you know, get caught up or stumble in that that aspect. So it seemed like something that was a pretty natural fit. Also just a very powerful deck, you know, has a fairly good mid-range plan. Um, you know, it could just beat people up with Omnaths, um, which yeah. I did do occasionally this weekend. I didn't combo every single game that I played. Um, it's obviously got a very good mid-range card in uh, Tamiyo, Collector of Tales, which uh, Kiran will tell you is the biggest load of shit ever. He hates that card. Sided, watered it out in every single match, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, that, that's yeah. the so purpose of the card. That's what I thought, thought it was there for. Yeah, it's just it's, an easy card to sideboard uh, out every game. Yeah. Just, a, just a placeholder for your tireless trackers. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could play an Omnath game, kill people with Omnath in game one. You could kill them with tireless trackers post-board. You have a lot of interaction post-board as well. So you've got a fairly good mid-range plan. I've actually killed someone without a Jeskai Ascendancy in play, uh, you know, just by Sylvan Awakening and then using the remaining untapped lands to Alpha Strike and kill someone. So, oh, nice. And then obviously there's the combo element, which just lets you kill people as early as turn three, you know, potentially. So so that seemed like a pretty good deck. Uh, picked it up, was happy with, you know, what I could do in that one league. Um, funnily enough, I think Quran, besides his one or two games playtesting, um, also only played it for the first time on the day of the tournament, like myself. So... Uh, so that was quite satisfying, you know, to, to be validated and actually do well with the deck that you haven't had much experience with, but it just seemed like the right fit. You know, I had some sort of intuition that it was good enough for the for the for the for the tournament. It was good enough against a wide enough variety of decks that it wouldn't pigeonhole me into a particular um, strategy and wouldn't um, sort of hamstring me in terms of my ability to interact with my opponents or or uh, combat various different strategies. So. Well, I think you yep. bring up a pretty interesting like point there uh, because you played against a deck, it beat you, and then you picked up that deck. And that's something I tend to do a lot of like on Arena because Arena, you know, I've got a much bigger collection and it's easier for me to like switch decks and stuff like that. And that's the thing. Like if I get stumped, if someone comes with something like different, I'm going to pick that thing up. I'm going to try and find it. And if I can't find it, I'm going to try and rebuild it, you know, because I think that's a skill in its own right is understanding that hey no that's that's a good deck and then just getting on it regardless of your reps because inherent power is something that can really get you ahead of the meta game at the right time especially because i mean i remember like rogues early on no one knew about it and then you know you're just smashing people oko when it first came out you know people hadn't yet really tried it and you're getting all this advantage. And I think Jeskai Ascendancy is probably in that position right now for Pioneer. Not that Pioneer is the biggest format, but if you're playing it, it seems like the deck that is almost the most inherently powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. So I, I thought Bolas Citadel was probably the most powerful deck in the format just because it had the ability to kill people on turn three. But the problem with Bolas Citadel is you need... It's, yeah, it's a bit inconsistent. You need a, a much more, more, a few more things to go right for you. Um, and they need to go right pretty often for you to consistently do well with the deck. So you can have a mana dork on turn one, you could untap, you could play a prosperous innkeeper, another mana dork, get a treasure or whatever, untap turn three, play a citadel and kill kill someone just on the spot. But that implies that no one's interacting with two of your mana dorks that, that you've played. 
no one is going to, you know, potentially counter your bursts at all. You've got to have the right amount of black mana. And the problem is you play, you know, mm-hmm. nine mana dorks in the deck and five of them only produce green mana. You've got to have a Gilded Goose. You've got to have an innkeeper to make a treasure to make your, your black, your mana base is sometimes a bit you know, finicky in that regard. Um, and then also you could just fizzle. I mean, I've, I've played a game where I had a bonus of Citadel and play on turn three. And then on top of my deck was another Citadel. You know, I had to pay six life. Yep. Another Citadel, so I had to pay six life at some point. I literally had that this weekend. I wasn't gaining life. Yeah, and then I hit like five lands in a row. So you just die. You just die on the spot. You know, you don't, you, you can get to a certain point. The problem is you can't manipulate your draws. You don't have a lot of agency over what you're doing up until the point where you maybe have a couple of woe striders in play and you can you can manipulate the top of your deck when you already have the citadel you know up until that point you're just sort of drawing off the top and you have catacomb sifters to scry to some extent but again those things die on site you know it's very seldom that someone will let you untap with with something like that in play um and that actually sorry i was gonna say that actually also like that's the big difference between that deck and the pioneer and the uh omnath uh the collects company deck no not collects company that sorry uh the your your deck that you were playing the jeskai ascendancy deck like that is the big difference is that the jeskai ascendancy deck has a lot more card selection of it like with the additions of consider and expressive iteration which are also both on your other deck i think for modern which also both standard cards it's really interesting that those have become like super super important and like just that card selection card like expressive iteration i think has made that jeskai ascendancy deck way more viable because it's been around in pioneer for a while but now it's actually just got like all these cheap spells that like really make you dig and dig and dig as quran i think would know from his interactions with the deck uh, especially in the semi-finals there like you managed to dig deep into your deck and pull out some wins that's I don't think it's really possible with other decks. Yeah, I mean, uh, so not just expressive duration, as you say, which is incredible, and you know, seeing play in modern as well uh, for a reason. I think you know, you also factor in consider, you know, just turbos yeah. out helps to turbo out um, your treasure cruise, which is I think it's the only format that it's legal in. So you know, you've got opt, you've got. I mean, you've got, um, sorry, consider expression iteration, treasure cruise, and then obviously a Jeska ascendancy, which filters um, through your deck as well. So it's just an incredible amount of uh, of selection, card selection and card draw, um, which which is not, you know, it's not free. You know, let's let's be clear. If you're just standing there drawing cards, you know, you, you still need something to do. And the deck does it really well. So what it does is it just allows you to dig and find your critical pieces and whether that's um your ascendancy to go off or as Sav said earlier you know sometimes you get the ascendancy and you don't need the sylvan awakening kill sometimes omnath is just reminds you of why it's such a broken magic card and uh, why it was a mistake really and it, why go reband in the new standard <laughs> yeah kind of why it does everything you know draws cards uh, gains life every turn so aggro can't beat you um adds mana um, just ridiculous. Sometimes dealing for damage to the opponent as well. I mean, I think my semi-final, my semi-final, one of my semi-final uh, games, I think, was uh, Omnath and Giganta came down together. Yes. And, you know, like yeah, sure. I had the Sylvan Awakening as well next turn, but I really didn't need it to. I could have just you know hit for nine a couple of turns and and, and won with those two. So yeah, Dex, uh, Dex, really something, um, really something, and it. Uh, 
I, honestly, I, even though we both played it and both did pretty well with it on, on, on the Saturday, I don't think I have enough experience with it to tell you what it's bad against besides not finding your combo pieces. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's know, not much. There's I, not much that it's bad yeah. against. Oh, look, well, Spirits is probably the only thing. Like, I lost 2-0 to ban Spirits in round one of the Pioneer tournament. It, it didn't feel close, you know. It seems they're, like they're a good deck in general. They're aggressive enough, yeah, yeah, just, you know, to put you under the gun, to you forced to combo off, and, you know, I tried to, I fizzled, and I got killed. Um, mm -hmm. that, like, that's the only thing that really comes to mind. Some, well, I suppose any deck that has enough aggression and disruption. So maybe even mono black, but I didn't face any mono black on the day, um, you know, just because they do play thought seasons and they do present a fairly quick clock. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's probably the best deck at the moment. This this ascendancy deck. I mean, you get to play Treasure Cruise, you get to play Omnath, you get to play Escape to the Wilds. I mean, these are all cards that have been banned in their respective formats <laughs> over the years. So, you know, it's it's really a combination of some ridiculous power, and the fact that your interaction, you know, you you you're not soft to creature decks because Omnath gains you a bunch of life, but also you play four copies of Chain to the Rocks, which is just one mana exile literally anything you can see that on the other side ridiculous. of the table. It's insane. I exiled a Korvald at some point. You know, I exiled a you know you name it. It's Lurus. Croxer, you know, it's it just catches yeah. people off guards. A questing beast, you know, there was a one of the games I think on camera mm -hmm. um, where you know someone was clocking me with a questing beast. I uh, played a, a Tamiyo, Karan, you know, your favorite card, and I was able to hit two copies of Chain to the Rocks off of it to to help me stabilize. You know, <laughs> so it can also dig you quite a lot. But um, yeah, the interaction is very cheap, very efficient, and you're able to churn through your deck at such a rapid pace just to find exactly what you need in any situation. Um, so I think it's very well positioned right now, you know, but again, you know, maybe that'll change, you know, the pioneers are very wide open format. Metagame is probably shifting all the time. Uh, I guess we'll have to see, but, uh, yeah, well, one of the speaking about, things... yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say ahead. one of the interesting things that that kind of brings up though, is the, the spirits deck you're not going to see in paper tournaments in a country like South Africa often There's probably going to be two people playing it ever, you know, because it's so expensive. So how much does that come into the factor of things when it comes to even your own deck selection in the tournament, knowing that, hey, there's going to be a lot of mono red because, you know, people can afford mono red cards. How, does that ever come into the thing or do you always like try and go for the winner's meta game? Karan? Yeah, I mean, I, you definitely have to take account of uh, the, the specifics of an environment that you're playing in. Like, you know, you, you, for example, in knowing that mono red is um, a lot of the mono red decks, which are people have in modern, are also, you know, portable um, into Pioneer. It is not too long yeah. ago, all those cards were in standard. So, you know, there's a lot of carryovers. So as you say, you got to take, you got to be cognizant of that. And similarly, in our environment, we expected a fair amount of Tron because it's a deck that's been good for, I mean, as long as modern's been a format. So, you know, not everyone has uh, just goes out and buys new decks every year. So you've got to take uh, consider, you know, those factors into consideration. Um, but the reality is, if you're playing one of the best decks, if using the modern example again, if your opponents are playing things like Tron, it probably doesn't matter too much. I mean, I know Rhinos has a bad Tron matchup, for example. That's one of the few decks that actually... Ironically enough. Really yeah, funny enough. But... You know, good luck playing Tron when your opponent's playing Blue Red or Hammer. You know, they're just gonna. It's, it's laughable how how good the matchup is. Um, so you'll take. You have to take some cognizance of it, and and I guess ride the lightning, so to speak. So I was prepared to say, well, if I faced a bunch of Tron matches and it didn't go my way, so be it. But 
you know, I felt that my deck was still was good enough to beat just about anything else that was put out there. Um, and, and I guess Pioneer, one of the reasons why I liked the uh, Ascendancy deck, apart from the fact that it was just, it seemed insane when I just picked it up and sort of saw how it worked, is the fact that Omnath is just a problem. It's just a problem for these aggressive decks, including Burn, which I expected to be popular. Because if your opponent goes, if you go Omnath against a Burn deck, what do they do? Do they have to use two burn spells to kill it? Okay, fine. I mean, that's great. After after sideboarding, they can uh, madcap or redcap melee, but that's about it. Yeah, well, so presumably they've lost game one or already, and now they've got two games to find sideboard cards. And this is the argument that I, you know, I tell people when when they say, you know, you say a matchup is bad, but yes, I've got a sideboard to deal with. You may have a sideboard, <laughs> but. You one game down, and you've got two games to draw those pieces, and you hope that your opponent can't interact with your plan. You know, so um, Omnath is a is a is a real problem for all these aggressive decks, not just Burn, but I mean, there are numerous spots over the weekend where you know people were clocking me or whatever the case was, and you know sometimes I'd go, oh, okay, Fetchland, my turn, gain four life. Um, sorry, not Fetchland, uh, Fable Passage, Fable gain passage. four life, pass the turn, sack it in your turn, gain another four life. You know. Just uh, what do you do? What do you do as the aggro deck when someone's playing, you know, cheat cheat level cards against you, you know, and you're playing dumb things like G2 Lava Runner and uh, Pyromancer, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, that, that also goes to your your theory that you punt home very hard very often is just play good cards. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a critical part and something I learned in Magic long ago, you know, when I was we, like a lot of us, when we're newer to the game, we, we, we want to build these cool decks or we have these cool ideas or whatever they are. And sometimes we, you know, we jump through hoops to make a plan or an archetype work. And the reality is, in order to make that archetype work, we end up playing bad, bad cards to facilitate that. And, and so something I learned quite early on was, actually, when I play decks, I want all the cards in my deck to be good as, as possible, you know, where possible have as many individually good cards. When you draw something, it's not like, oh my God, I've drawn this nonsense, you know, yeah. a piece of cardboard. And this is a discussion I was having with um, someone at the, at, the, at the tournament, you know, asked me as a little bit of advice on their deck. And I explained, well, you know, if your deck, if your deck has to play like a bad one drop um, in order to be a deck, probably play another deck. Play another deck that has good one drops, you know, like like Mono Black that has, you know, um, Erebus, uh, Erebus Knight or whatever that thing's called. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm terrible with card names, but you know, nah, you not to be saying, not like, to be Ebon Legion. Nine of the, the one that gets bigger. Yeah, the one Erebus that becomes Knight, like yeah, a seven seven or something. You know, in no time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so play good cards, and I think I think this deck does this really well in that it like it plays as we discussed all these cards that have been banned in multi in these various formats. Um, and so when your deck's got you know numerous cards that have been banned in formats, you know that something's pretty good. There's something there's a good chance your deck's going to be powerful. Um, so yeah, it's a good rule to live by. Play good cards. Yeah, probably. It's kind of crazy. Well. It's kind of crazy when you really think about it. Having Escape to the Wilds and Treasure Cruise on the same deck, like <laughs> that's just seem a little silly. Yeah, it's nonsense. And Absolutely it's nonsense. And it, it, Expressive iteration and it, as well, right? And expressive right. iteration, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is which is being played in legacy, you know. <laughs> and then consider as well, you know, it's just turbo opt. <laughs> and then you get to fuel your treasure cruises as well. So it's nuts. Absolute nuts. 
Yeah. Okay, well, I think we can move on to the next little bit of discussion. I mean, I think people kind of already know modern more as like it's kind of a known format. So I don't know if we need to touch on it too much unless you guys want to really get into it. Well, uh, not I, I, go, go for it, Sog. I, I just want to tell people to play Blue Red, you know, <laughs> as much as I can spread the gospel of, of Murktide Regent. I think I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, the deck's fantastic, felt fantastic all all day. I did lose a, a match to uh, Black Red uh, Lurus, Rakdos Lurus, at some point on uh, on Sunday. And, uh, you know, I won game one pretty handily. And then in one of the post-sideboard games, I think he had a, a Dalthy Voidworker, which I couldn't answer for some reason. Then he thought to use my Jace the Mind Sculptor and then cast my Jace the Mind Sculptor against me. And that wasn't very good. <laughs> so I lost that round. But won every other match 2-0 until I got to the to the quarterfinals, where I had a very unlucky match against Tron. Uh, but the deck feels fantastic. Um, again, legacy playable. All these cards. I actually played a pretty similar deck, Blue Red Delver, with Merktides and Dragons Red Channelers, Ragavans in Legacy on Friday. So um, that I think is, yeah, like like Kiran said, head and shoulders above most of the decks in the format. Hammer, uh, obviously the big boogeyman leading into the tournament. Luckily, we managed to keep Hammer out of the top eight. Uh, I beat Hammer in the Swiss. So did Kiran. So did our pal John Wood. Also made top eight with Merktide. Um, I think we're just able to benefit from our experience of having played the matchup a lot more times than some of the Hammer players. Except for John, who's never picked up the deck before in his life and is just a fantastic Magic player. Um, although Karan will attest that he's, he's, he used to be far better. I think he's still pretty great. Uh, John, if you're listening, you know, I think I think a lot of you, very highly of you. Um, but yeah, Hammer's great. Rhinos is, is uh, obviously fantastic. It's not something that I had experience with, so it wasn't really an option for me to play. But, you know, I played Merktide up and down over the last couple of months, so I was pretty happy with that choice. But yeah, otherwise, Modern yeah, it's pretty pretty wide open format. There's not much innovation, I think, that can be had at the moment. I think you've just got to play a deck that you know very well and you think is pretty well positioned against the rest of the format. Um, and people have their pet decks in Modern. You know, you don't need to play one of these top three decks. Um, I think we did see a number of other diverse decks make it into the the top eight. I think we saw someone playing Heliod Company. Uh, we saw, um, I suppose, a fairly new take on on blue white control, splashing a bit of red. I think it's one of uh, old Wafa Tapa's recent lists um, make it into the top eight. I think there were other a smattering of some other decks as well, Eldrazi Tron as well. You know, which I lost to, which is. Um, Something I thought I would be favored against, but, uh, you know, they, they have some insane draws as well. So it's just, you know, um, a roll of the dice, as it were. But, yeah, I think Modern's great at the moment. It's very, like, hyper-interactive. It's, um, like Bob was saying earlier, it's, it's much more like Legacy in that the, the cards are so amped up in power level compared to how they used to be. But all the interaction and the, the, the counterplays are much more efficient these days. So it actually makes the format a lot more healthy than, than it has been in previous years. I don't know if anyone else wants to chip in on or weigh in on modern. Karan, what do you think? Yeah, I think you most you mostly covered it. And I, I you know, I, I'd add to that that you know you lost the one match or whatever. I'd say that you know I didn't lose a game the entire day with the rhinos, and, and it didn't feel remotely close. Like I felt like I was playing a different format to my opponents. I mean, uh, I think uh, the most savage one was I was up against uh, Simon. I go on the draw. I go um, gemstone cavern on the draw. Um, you, you know, um, turn one, play a land, ice your land, uh, untap, turn two, shardless agent, 10 power, and turn two, turn three, shardless agent, another 10 power. The game was over, you know, before anything could happen. And, and that was like a pretty common 
trend <laughs> through the week, uh, through the day. So, yeah, I, I really think, I, I think you can't go too wrong. Whether it's Rhinos, Hammer or, or Blue Red, I, I think they're good. And I think there's a number of other things that are playable. But, you know, if I wanna, you want to win an event, it's probably a good place to start. Um, just one second, we're going to stop here because Bob is not, uh, Bob, there's a, a saying, it's an alert coming up and it's saying participant Bob is having a problem. Participant failed with error, not recording. Cool. So we, we had a little, some technical difficulties, some Benoni internet difficulties uh, as Savash so kindly, Savash, sorry, so kindly put it. Oh man. Yeah. So a little, little bit of a technical difficulty there, but thankfully we've got two consummate professionals on the other side of this line and they managed to keep it going. But we are going to first, actually, I want to say big thank you to the tournament organizers. This was such a wonderful experience. And I know it's been going on for quite a few months now. They've been doing qualifying events. They were getting all the different stores together. You know, that was the cool thing about this. Like, shout outs to Adam Prevoir, uh, Crispy, obviously, Crispy One, Anshin Lin. Uh, they, they're the main crew for EGG. And then also to all the stores that were willing to get involved in this, you know, to have these qualifying events that were all over the country, send people up here because Wizards is no longer doing this. There's no longer World Magic Cup. There's no longer, you know, the things, there's no longer nationals in general. There's no longer this competitive play and it's up to individual people to actually make it happen. And we've now had a pretty pro pretty pro not really but like for south african you know standards we actually had a really worthwhile magic event so yeah just a shout out to the egg crew and then also the nexus i know grant at the nexus benji at the nexus all of them really just great people and i know i had a phenomenal time this weekend so thank you to everyone Cool. With that, and the judging the way, staff as well. Let's not forget. Let's yes. Not forget oh, Bradley was so uh, great. Jonathan was Bradley so great. And, and Jonathan sorry. did a fantastic job all weekend, especially just the fact that it was only the two of them. Um, obviously, they're very experienced. Um, you know, in terms of running Nexus events as well. You know, they're pretty used to the, the venue as well. But yeah, they did a fantastic job. I think uh, the few judge calls I did have were resolved very, very um, efficiently, amicably. You know, didn't leave uh, anyone. Uh, feeling like they weren't acknowledged at all. So, you know, that their, their point of view wasn't, you know, taken into taken into account by the judge staff. So excellent job. Yeah, I think they're very fair judges. I've found Bradley to be super dope to work with. Like, you know, you know, you, you have some awkward situations sometimes in magic tournaments and judges can really make them better or worse, you know, I guess. Like I know I've definitely had some tournaments where some judge calls ruined my entire day. And that was definitely the opposite for me with this case, you know, like I had a, I had a weird like moment and me and the other guy, we discussed it afterwards and it was cool. But what I really appreciated was Bradley like taking me aside afterwards and like talking it out with me and like, yeah, I thought that was really cool. So shout out to the judging staff as well. But one thing that's kind of interesting about this that came up, at least on the stream, I know some people were a little bit disappointed with Quran because they were the ones watching on the stream. They weren't the ones playing the actual games of Magic, and because of Quran, there wasn't weren't there many there weren't any finals played on the last two days because you <laughs> you pushed for the splits pretty hard. You pushed for the splits every day. On the first day, the guy who played against you it was his first big tournament, and he wanted to take it down for the pride. And big ups to him. He managed to do it. He managed to defeat the end boss of SA Magic. 
But the next two days, he managed to convince everyone else to split, much to the chagrin of uh, people in the chat. So, Karan, what's what's your reasoning behind this, other than, than you know wanting to have some beers? So, so firstly, just to clarify, on the, the second day at the finals, I actually didn't propose the split. Uh, Kieran, my opponent, he he yeah he he was the one who proposed it. I was probably going to anyway. Um, um, but yeah, he, he proposed it and um, I, I was happy to take it. Um, but yes, so on Sunday, on Sunday, I definitely did, you know. Um, and, and there's a few concepts you need to understand here. Uh, one is the concept of EV or expected value. And, and, and a price structure, when a price structure is so top heavy, um, yes, I'd like to win it and take it all. Um, and I do have faith in my ability to do that. And I'm sure other people would have as well. But the reality is to win a Magic tournament, it's not just about being the best player in the room um, or playing the best or having the best deck. There's a there's a luck element involved, a very big luck element. And that's what part of what attracts us all to the game is when you have those highs, when you keep that one land and hit run around a land, <laughs> land, and then cast your rhinos or whatever in turn three, it's a hell of a, hell of a rush, you know. Um, Riding the and lightning. so with this... You're riding the lightning, and with this luck, um, you, you've got a spike, and the term spike, you know, means everything needs to line up. There's a reason guys have, you know, if you look at the best pro players in the world, um, there's a reason they don't have 90% win rates because it's impossible. <laughs> it's quite frankly impossible. So, you know, to get around this variance and to ensure that you come away with some great value, something, you know, something quantifiable that you know, still makes it all worthwhile. Um, that's what price splits are, are there for. So instead of potentially, for example, in the Pioneer event, uh, one of us walking away with all the cash in the final and the other walking away with a few boosters, we just, you know, it kind of made sense to say, we'll split the cash down the line, we'll split all the booster prizes down the line and both go away happy. So it kind of made sense. And then we sense. all went out for dinner together. Yeah, exactly. And and we were all happy because it's an hour, probably an hour that that final is going to take. Um, so I have an hour of my time le- available and to go and do whatever I wanted. And if you, you know, you add that up over three days, you're playing a hell of a lot of magic. It's a lot of time you spent in a venue and it's exhausting. So, you know, yeah. it's not just the money that you win or the prizes that you win and you're wanting to maximize that. Um, it's also about, uh, you know, is it, how much is your time worth? And, and on Sunday and in particular, health. yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I, I was exhausted. I was drained, I, you know, um, especially after the Pioneer Day because, you know, playing that silly deck, it really does tax you. So, you know, um, for me, it was about the time. So on Sunday, getting to slip the top four was fantastic um, because it meant two, potentially two extra rounds of play that I didn't have to do. Uh, possibly leaving there an hour and a half, two hours earlier, getting to enjoy my Sunday, the last day with all my friends there, uh, going out like we did for dinner and the customary top eight celebrations, uh, you know, uh, or winning celebrations or whatever the case is. That's worthwhile. And uh, that's what magic is for me. You know, it's about that getting together and community and getting to do that. And obviously with curfew and all these weird things that, um, lockdown brings and COVID's brought, getting out late is a challenge for everybody. So, you know, getting to enjoy ourselves and still, you know, uh, getting some good prizes at the end of the day, everyone leaves happy. So, 
you know, um, well, sorry to just you say everyone, you yes. say everyone, but I do think, okay, so what I find interesting about all of this is the value proposition of content for the tournament organizers. Like, you know, they get to film all of this, they get to stream it, they get to then play it again, use it in promotional material later down the line, all of those sorts of things. And doing this can be kind of anticlimactic and is very much an old school way of thinking because this is something that we've done for years. Like in Magic tournaments with a decent value, like even back in the day, like if you were in a PTQ and you couldn't make the flight, you split with the guy, you know, you got all the prizes, they got the, you know, they got the win, you got second, but you got the prizes, they got the flight and they got to go over. So like these were all like standard things in Magic, like Playing in the finals is pretty rare, actually, if you look at the history of like tournaments that are like this, essentially. But this was before they were being streamed. This was before they were a public thing. So do you think that maybe it would be a smart idea for tournament organizers going forward to actually put in a you-can't-split kind of rule for their own benefit? No, and I don't think that's a reasonable... I don't think that's reasonable to request... The reality is, unless there's something on the line, like you say, like a, a if it's a qualification for a pro tour or for Worlds or whatever, there's no real, there's nothing on the line. And you can't force people to play it out. And this is something that's been going on, as you alluded to, for years and, and, and it will continue to do so. What you could do is say, listen, terms of our tournament is that you are allowed to split, but we need to see a winner crowned on camera. That's the one way to to circumvent that is to say, okay, let's do that. Um, and, and I will say that the other other factor, and, and maybe it added to it, was that there was no air conditioning in the venue. And, and it's a sure. wonderful venue and a great store. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of time for Grant. I know him for uh, as long as I've been playing Magic just about. But, you know, when you've got that many people in a venue and there's no air conditioning, it makes it really difficult. So it adds to the, I guess, the exhaustion by the end of the day and that need to want to get out and get fresh air and, you know, just get out of there. So I, th- I think I think if, if those things are addressed, you, you know, you'd happily play it. Um, you'd happily play out those rounds if they said, you know, what, guys, please, you can't split, but we really need you to play it out. Um, even if they said, you know what, you got to play it out. Can you play it for, out for us at a later date? doesn't have to be right now so we can record it and have the content do you know what i mean like you could there are ways you could that would be cool could could do a, do it and, and i would happily oblige with that yeah but it's just the nine but, rounds in a hot venue like on the same day can be a bit much yeah in three consecutive yeah, yeah. days do you know what i mean like it's yeah. not just one day nine rounds in one day is perfectly you know it's it's a long it's a long day but it's reasonable but when you do yeah. three consecutive days and you're going to the end all three days, you know. But not everyone's years, going to the end all three days. That's just that's just you, bro. Sure, and I'm not 20 years old anymore, man. When I was 20 years old, sure. <laughs> but now it's hard work, man. I, I'm exhausted by the end of it, you know. Yeah, and yeah I was exhausted just today. watching you try to play that Jeskai deck, you know, in the semifinals as well. You know, we also needed a bit of a break, <laughs> so I'm very happy you were able to split the finals there. Kind of some stuff. Uh, but hey, speaking about the con- excuse well, who me, did he play in the I, semifinals? Who, who did I play in the semifinals? Yeah, just remind me who I played in the semifinals. Actually, uh, it wasn't me. You beat me in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Fine, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. What, what was it? You? Oh, right. <laughs> Shit, actually, no, no. You beat me. You beat me. 
He'd be in the quarterfinals. <laughs> I didn't even, even make it to the semis. Yeah. Uh, although, to be fair, I did keep you keep you well past your finals on Friday while I was still playing Legacy against like a nine-year-old kid. So... <laughs> that was, that's true. That is, that is 100% true. Look, look, Legacy is Legacy. You know, it's good to see young kids play the game again, but shame. Look, Matthew is a great guy for being able to bring all these Legacy decks and, you know, lend them out to people. But... Uh, uh, he gave someone uh, like a twelve-year-old kid uh, an Enchantress deck to play. Um, I couldn't play Enchantress, much less, much less this kid who's never played Legacy before. Uh, <laughs> and the other kid that I played against was his brother playing a Reanimator deck. Uh, actually, played pretty well, to be honest. Um, I actually almost lost that Enchantress matchup. He played like an Elephant Grass and a main deck Rest in Peace against my Merktide Region deck, and that wasn't very. <laughs> very exciting to see <laughs> and there's also humility on the table at some point so you know many many judge calls um but sorry about just want to maybe you call the judge of much... well i don't know how humility works with a murktide region you know it says you know it comes in with counters for every card you exile whether or not he gets the counters on his one one body i don't know it turns out he doesn't there's nothing nothing happens it's just a one one for you know however much mana you spent on it uh humility is a ridiculous card but i just want to throw my two cents in about the whole content creation situation so i think kiran's made some very valid points you know the players shouldn't be under any obligation to i think perform you know you're there for your own reasons you've got your own incentives for playing in the tournament and trying to win whatever prizes are on the line if you can obtain some aspect of that prize support by splitting with your opponents if you both agree i think that's reasonable um, the one thing to point out, though, is that the content creators are probably the happiest guys. You know, when we decided to split, or Kiran and them decided to split, they were the most stoked to get out of there a couple of hours. Especially early, on the, you know, especially on the Sunday. Especially on the Sunday. You know, doing the stream, running the stream is as awesome as it was. Um, and I did manage to check out some of the coverage. They did a fantastic job, you know, on par with some of the, the international coverage that I've seen, um, even giving Wizards a run for their money. Um, you know, it's exhausting <laughs> stuff, you know, to have to commentate on, you know, nine rounds with magic you know it's, it takes a lot with, out of like a, a person, so. like a very small team so crispy's like so i'll give people some context because i went in when i didn't make top eight i went in and commentate commentated like a few rounds and stuff and like it's oh, just so all three days crispy. okay cool right. exactly i mean not i'm not seeing i'm not stunting here whatever dog I suck at magic. That's fun. That's why I'm no longer part of this podcast. I'm never coming back. Thanks for, thanks for rubbing it in my face. I'm not good enough for this podcast anymore. I know that. I knew that all along. I even had, I even had someone come up to me this weekend and just be like, "The podcast has changed since you left. You know, it's gotten more serious. I like that's what everyone. Well, that's what the that's what the word on the streets is. You know, this is no longer. There's no longer a casual, you know, person on this podcast." And that's fine. I get it. Bob, but, uh, Bob you're such a valuable point? asset. We're such a valuable asset. We can't spoil the masses. You know, we've got to keep you and just dole you out in like very small doses, you know, keep them wanting more. <laughs> yeah, so, unlike yeah, the yeah, Bachelor's podcast, we've, we've right I actually am a special guest. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to overexpose you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we definitely can't be doing that. But yeah, I got to commentate a little bit and it was a really fun experience for sure. Like it really is cool getting to do that. It's weird, like, because when I, when I watch people play Magic from the side, like, I don't really watch them. I'm just looking at cards on the table. But like, you know, when you're watching it on the screen and you have to like discuss things, you really start thinking and you really start like trying to figure out the outs and all of that sort of stuff. And like, I really enjoyed that. That was quite fun. 
And yeah, Crispy's there on his own. He had Rashawn with him a couple times. He had a couple of other people join him, you know, on commentary from time to time. And then you had one other person, you know, running between the tables and him to update him on the scores each time. Because with a setup like that, it's not necessarily possible to always see like everything that's going on and keep track of exactly how much damage is going through and that sort of stuff. So really a very skeleton staff there being able to bring that coverage together. So once again, shout outs to them because, you know, doing that in South Africa is fucking cool. I think that's yep. two of yeah. the bucks. Yeah, let's, sure. let's use three now. No, it was, a, <laughs> it was like a really, really slick operation. Um, the one thing I could suggest maybe if any of them are listening is implementing something like the Cardboard Live uh, plugin so that, you know, yeah. uh, you know, people in the chat can actually see the deck list as the games are playing out. Have a look at the sideboards. I think that you know, was, it's a pretty cool overlay. But uh, I think, I think the, the way they did implement... The... Sorry, I was going to say, I think that's purely just because the deck lists weren't open for top eight, so they didn't want the deck list available, but maybe sure, not. Sure. Yeah, sure. obviously there's, there's various limitations, yeah, but in future, you know, if we have, you know, multiple tournaments like this, you know, it would be, if, if coverage is going to be a regular thing, uh, even for like, you know, lower stakes tournaments, um, you know, not really on a national scale, just all the EG tournaments, EG tournaments going forward, you know, that could be an option. Uh, but I think the way they implemented the electronic deck list submission was also really cool. Um, just submitting them everything beforehand. The MTG companion app definitely makes things a lot more streamlined and takes a, a huge weight off the TOs and the judges' shoulders. So, you know, it was quite cool to see all the stuff sort of coming together, you know, in a time where paper magic hasn't really gotten the recognition that it should have in the last couple of years, or COVID's obviously done a number on it, uh, on organized play. Uh, it was cool to see all these tools sort of being utilized effectively. So, yeah, quite nice. Cool. Karan, any last words you want to throw out there? Because I do think it is time for us to say goodbye to the good folks listening in. Yeah, um, I guess uh, thanks to all the people who came out and, you know, said hi and, um, you know, told us, you know, how much they're enjoying the, the pod. And we appreciate uh, we appreciate all of you. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep on trying to... Uh, improve and uh, give you you know the content that you're asking for so yeah it was great to hang out with all of you and uh, thanks so much um till the next one yeah shots cool well thank you karan thank you savesh and i do want to just give you guys a little bit of advice if you're listening to this podcast if you ever ask karan for advice on your deck he will give it to you he really will give you the most <laughs> honest advice you could ever get <laughs> and whether or not you want that advice is something that you are going to have to decide before you go and have that conversation. With that, we are out.